It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Chris Manning here from Locks on Cavaliers. Joining me today for part two of our two-parter, looking at a six Cavs topics, six things that will define the Cavs season. If you haven't already, check out yesterday's show. Uh, joining me again is Jackson Flickinger at Akron Jackson on Twitter. He's one of the writers with me over at You're the Sword. Jackson, what's going on? Nothing much. Just waiting for October to start. Yeah, I, preseason is going to like tide me, but like give me the real thing couldn't agree more <laughs> but yeah I, just, I do just want to see some basketball I just, I want to be able to freak out about some preseason you know highlight just give me something the first Darius Garland um three-pointer from like 30 feet is going to be fun yeah I I just can't wait honestly um where are you at on the 90s jerseys uh I am all in but I also, like, I was too young to, like, remember the Cavs really wearing those jerseys. Same, same. So I, so I so I like them. Apparently, the older crowd doesn't really like them, but I guess that's their problem. Yeah, um, I, I think it's, like, a 27 and under, 28 and under kind of age where, like, you're cool with the jerseys, it seems like. Yeah, I just think it's a crime we never saw LeBron wearing them. Yeah. So. Uh, when I was when I was like in 2022 college, is coming up, so yes, you know, hopefully they still have them then. <laughs> yes, um, or give me the the, the Bronny James zero one. There we go. There we go. Let's just let's just print it. Cavs team shop. Okay, so uh, as we did on yesterday's show, we're gonna just answer some questions uh, that we've kind of come up with exploring the Cavs season. Jackson uh, did two on last one. I did one. The three we covered were the Cavs defense, um, how the importance of the health of Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, and then how Kobe Altman manages the cap. I'm going to start with, um, I, th- I think two, I would say the two, Jackson, I don't know if we did this intentionally or you did this intentionally. I did not. I feel like there are two biggest questions are on this podcast. I agree. <laughs> um, I, I think the two most important things. Um, so let's just, let's get into one of them. What is year three for Jetty Osmond look like? Year three for Jetty Osmond is, it to me, feels like a pretty important year for Jetty. Um, it feels like if he's going to break out and 
be the kind of guy that I think a lot of people, including myself, think he can be, this is the year where I think it kind of has to happen. Um, you know, I think too, he's kind of had two odd roles for what he, what he should be um, in the NBA in his two years. So year one, he's kind of just like energy guy comes in and defends at the end of quarters, like doesn't really play that much on a team that made the finals kind of a transition year. You kind of write that one off. You, you kind of take some of the positives and you, you let them go. Um, like, frankly, I think the thing we will remember most about the year for him was like a, that pass against the wizards. I think that was that year. And then um, the, him like hugging LeBron is like Isaiah Thomas is like clawing at him after the, the winner over um, Jimmy Butler before Isaiah Thomas got traded. What a, what a world that was. And then last year, age 23 plays 76 games, starts 75 of them, you know, is I, you know, kind of, I think fade on offense a little bit, a little bit of a streaky shooter, um, some, you know, some defensive moments that I think just frustration where the form broke down and stuff like that. Decent numbers. Um, and then we see him, you know, we see him, we see him be this guy with Turkey that is like, like comes off pin downs and does good stuff. He's making cool passes. He had that amazing post-up move. Like there's something really interesting there to be in mind. And my thing with him is I just don't believe that we've seen him in a position to like be posited and be used in a way that is actually going to benefit that. If it's going to happen, I think Beeline is the kind of the coach to do it. And I think this is the, where I kind of feel like if he's going to turn into something like a top eight player on a good team, this is the year I think where we need to see some of that. I couldn't agree more. You know, this is the year where, yeah, you, you are, you're going to find out who he is last year. It was really tough to, evaluate him especially on the defensive end of the floor he was being pushed up to guard some in some situations being pushed to guard fours guarding wings that he really had no business guarding you know so it's like there was a lot of factors that really made it tough to evaluate Osman but also the thing that was you know frustrating and that's this is the thing that's frustrating with most young and inexperienced players is that on their best nights they look like you're, you like see him on his best night and you're like, wow, this guy could be a starter on a really good team. And then you see him on his worst nights and you're like, this guy might not even be in the league in two seasons. So, you know, and Osman had plenty of those and I'd like to see something kind of in the middle. Like I want to see him find his niche on both ends of the floor. Is he going to be a guy who spots, who spots up more, who comes around screens? Is he going to be a guy that tries to put it on the floor, tries to, offense we've seen him you know bits and pieces of all those things I want to see him find a role find it's comfortable and, and really see what his ceiling could be I kind of like hope he doesn't have to defend a bunch of fours this year um, I kind of hope he can actually like defend twos and threes I don't know how likely that is we'll kind of see um, I I, I think his passing should be something we see. I think that's like the skill of his that I love the most. And I want to see, I want to see just some of that NBA. Um, we see it a bunch with Turkey and I'm not saying he should be like a lead creator. Like he often is with Turkey, but like, I think he could be a secondary creator. And I think one of the reasons I like his fit, not just in Beeline's offense, but with this group of guys is like, if you look at KPJ and you look at Sexton, those are two guys that to me feel like at their, their best of sort of what we envision them right now. They're guys that are going to stop the ball. They're going to look for shots. Jetty's, like, not going to do that. And if he can be someone who helps moves the ball and helps kind of keep the offense flowing, if those guys are going to be your shot makers, then I think that works. And it's a little funky. It's a little non-traditional. But I don't think that means it can't work. 
Um, the other aspect of this that I think kind of makes this interesting is that this is the last year of his rookie contract. So he's making $2.9 million this year. He'll be a restricted free agent next summer. Um, can be tendered $5.5 million. The Cavs can match every offer if they tender him. I don't think there's any reason to think they wouldn't do that right now. I'm going to pull up um, – I, I don't know what you think of sort of where he's kind of at in terms of, like, his fit within the roster. So just vamp on that for a second. I'm going to pull up his player comparisons as we think about his next contract here to wrap this segment up. So what, like, what do you, yeah. how, do you, how do you think he fits with these guys? Um, I mean, with this current – really need – him on this current roster considering they really don't have many wings or anybody who can you know the floor as a wing as we talked about in the last pod you know Thornwell can maybe provide some on some of that on the defensive end of the floor but he's not giving you anything on offense um but I do think does fit with some of the talent that they have some of the younger guys that they have I can see him and Sexton fitting well together I can see him him and fitting well together him and Windler you know because he does a lot of things that you need that that you need from you know that good teams need like he can be that secondary creator he can you know spot up he can we saw bits and pieces of him you know attacking the basket off the dribble you know so it's like we've seen him do a little bit of everything but you know one of the things with with Jetty one of my concerns is that like he can do a little bit of everything, but what are his elite skills? Like, I wouldn't say he's an elite shooter. He's not elite on, on the defensive end of the floor. You know, like, what really does he bring besides a guy who can just do everything? And guys like that are important, but if they, you know, if he can't reach, you know, if he, if he can't, you know, like, if, he, if he's not able to have, you know, a really top top level skill in any one of the, any one of those things then what value is he bringing you know to an nba team moving forward yeah i i think that's fair and i think the the i think passing and creation is like what his best chance at like an elite ish skill is so we'll see if that kind of works out okay so here are his um according to 538 his player compare 10 most top i'm going to give you the top 5 most comparable players um Solomon Hill in 2016 is his number one. Then Reggie Williams in 2011. Torian Prince last season. Tayshawn Prince in 2005. And Eddie Johnson in 1984. Um, you have Danny Granger and T.J. Warren as some of the other names on the list. Like, that's not, like, a invaluable thing of guys. That also doesn't scream, like, I should be making $12 million a year or something like that. But if, like, Jetty's, like, ceiling is, like, offensive Tayshawn Prince with, like, a, like maybe a three two-thirds of like that defensive ability just with more offensive pop is the trade-off i'm super in on that player all the way in the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I agree. So, I mean, we just really have to see it from a consistent level. Like we saw stretches last year, especially, you know, coming off of the 
the rookie challenge, whatever, whatever it's called now, coming off the rookie challenge, I really saw a guy playing inspired, playing. It was a guy, you know, trying to do things in the post. You could see him, you know, attacking off the dribble. His outside shot was going. Then he just kind of sputters. We'll have some games where he just kind of can't really get anything going. Like you can forget that he's even out there on the floor. So it's like, I really just want to see him play with confidence. I want him to know his role and I want him to be put in the best position to succeed. And I'm hoping Beeline's able to do that at least on the floor. Cause as we discussed, probably won't be put in the best uh, position to succeed on the, on the defensive end. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with more of Locked on Cavs with myself and Jackson Flickinger. Again, if you aren't already, please check out Locked on Browns with Jeff Floyd, Monday through Friday, Sunday night, um, a whole bunch of great stuff from Jeff covering the Cleveland Browns. You'll learn a ton from his podcast, so go check that out wherever you're listening to Locked on Cavs, and we'll be right back. Three, two, one. Okay, Jackson, give me your last question, and this is, I think, the other the other big one. It's kind of the probably the defining thing of this Cavs era based on what they did with, um, with, with the draft this year. Yeah. You know, my last question is how are Sexton and Garland going to fit together on and off the court? And I think it's important to add and off the court because as Cavs fans, we've seen how personalities can really dictate how things happen on the court as well. So as we know, Sexton and Garland, do have a lot of overlapping skills you know there is definite fit concerns it's, you know it's hard to play in the NBA with two two guys who are undersized at their position especially if you consider one of them you know playing the playing the off guard position so is all be a concern for them like even if they were to reach their ceilings on that end but you know in the NBA, there really are multiple ways to win. And sometimes when, you know, different eras skew how we view basketball as a whole, you know, the Warriors, the Warriors in the last, you know, five, five, five years made us think that, you know, going small, getting rid of the, the traditional center is how the NBA is going to be played in the future. But as we see throughout all these eras, the teams that are most successful are the ones with the most talent. And if Sexton and Garland become, you know, high-level, high-level all-star level players, then there is really a road for the Cavs to be good. But they have to fit together both on and off the court. They have to be able to, you know, play together on the ball. Sexton needs to become a guy who can play off the ball. Gar- Garland will need to be able to play off the ball. You know, Sexton will need to continue his good spot up shooting that we saw especially at the end of last year you know one of them will need to be able to take take the role as being the lead playmaker you know we saw flashes of Sexton doing it but we didn't really see him be a lead playmaker you know at most times throughout his first year Garland you know if you look back at his high school tapes he definitely can looks like he has elite skills but we didn't see that in the brief time he was he was playing at Vanderbilt last year so there's so many questions with them but, you know, I think they can make it work. It's just whether they will. So I think if they can get through year one without a press conference, like saying that they like each other, like we're good. I'll go for that right now. <laughs> like that, that, that's my baseline. Um, jokes aside, like 
You know, I think that's where the the Colin Sexton, like one of the things that I think is really interesting with this is Colin Sexton being pushed off ball is one of the things that I I, I think was was kind of interesting. Um, I think Colin Sexton doing some spotting up last year, doing some stuff that, you know, was frankly foreign to him in, in high school and in, and in college and his one year in Alabama, I think was a sign that the Cavs were like, okay, we need you to be versatile and we're going to leave the door open that we're going to draft another guard. Now, I don't think they knew in like March that they were, they were like, okay, we are going to, we're going to draft a guard. Like we love Darius Garland. I don't know if that's true. Um, I would be kind of surprised if that was, you know, but I think if they looked at the draft class last year, whether they wanted Barrett, whether they wanted, you know, if Kevin Porter Jr. would have ended up being a really high pick, whether it was Garland or John Morant or whomever, Zion Williamson would fall in this case too if they would have gotten lucky enough to get him. They were going to have to – Collins probably not going to be good enough to be, like, dominating the ball. Um, and I think this was always going to be, like, a thing with whomever they, they took. I don't know I, – I think it's exasperated because we're looking at these two guys as a backcourt tandem. There are major defensive concerns. There are, you know – I concerns about sort of like how much they overlap um jonathan sharks who we'll we'll have on this pod um in the next two weeks hopefully um wrote a really good piece about this over at the ringer it's a really interesting question of like how they can build around it but i think that the idea that like colin sexton was going to have to do some version of this in some way no matter whom the Cavs drafted and how they built i think was i just think based on what he's probably going to be i think it was kind of inevitable that this was going to be um, a kind of part of his future is just having to accommodate another guy who's going to take a much shots. I agree. And really, you know, in today's NBA, it is important to be able to play off the ball. There are few stars in the league who really can get away with dominating the ball and dominating, you know, possession after possession. You know, most guys like outside those, you know, high level guys, you know, most everybody has to be able to play off the ball and has to be able to play well with others, move without the ball, move to the... Some of that with Sexton. I thought it was really interesting when we saw him start alongside Bright, you know, because we were able to see him kind of play off the ball more and, you know, do other things. And we, you know, his spot-up numbers last year really made me encouraged because different aspects of the game that we didn't that frankly we didn't see in Alabama and we didn't see in the beginning of the year so I am I am cautiously optimistic that it can work on the offensive end end of the floor defense is another issue but you know if it gets to the point where we're really concerned about how they fit together on defense and at least going to mean that fit together on on um would you start them together from day one I think I would I would I mean have nothing to lose even if your goal is to well maybe we can have Sexton become a you know a six-man scorer like that's a role important to have him and Garland play together because you know when you invest that much into into you know they are going to have to play together these building blocks so I definitely would. Yeah, I I think you just got to do it. Um, I don't know what that means for for other guys. I don't know what that would like. I think the ideal starting lineup for me is probably those two: Jetty, 
Thompson and Love. I think that's kind of what I would do. But, um, you know, we don't quite know, you know, what the Cavs plan is, you know, with Garland. You know, I think um, it's one of these things on media day. And what Beeline says about that, I think, will be probably one of the more notable things to come out of of media day. Um, and I'll be curious. And look, these two guys, like, have been around each other for a decent amount of time in the past. They've they've played against each other in high school. Like, you know, I, when I spoke to Garland or to, yeah, the Garland's high school coach, like, he's like, I have no – you know, he's obviously a little biased, but like, he's like, I don't really have, I don't foresee issues with these guys. And look, the Cavs are, the Cavs are probably hoping like that, that this is going to be their McCollum Lillard. I don't, you know, believe that they would just take um, a guy just to like trade Sexton. I, I, they put a lot of effort into promoting Sexton for all first team last year. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I think they like him. I think they believe in him. So how they approach this, I think will be really interesting and probably, the defining thing um, of this era. All right, we're going to take one more break. And I think that's a topic Jackson and I and, and the whole Cavs writing community and blogging community will come back to a bunch in the coming months. But uh, we're going to take one quick break and then get into our last segment for today's show. Um, if you aren't already, again, check out the whole Locked in NBA network and especially check out Locked in NBA Monday through Friday. You're going to get a new show, variety of different hosts. My favorite is Tuesday with Ben Golliver, David Ramil and Wes Goldberg. Check out their insights on all things, the biggest news in the NBA every Tuesday and then every Monday through Friday. But Tuesday is Ben, David, and Wes. And we're going to be right back with more of this episode with myself and Jackson Flickinger. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Jackson, last topic. I think this is a, this is one of those things that I think did go a little bit under the radar last year. Um, I think, you know, it's a, it's a little... It's, it's it makes sense because the team was so bad but how much of what the evolution we saw from Larry Nance Jr. last year for me is kind of important um you know is it going to be something where his passing holds up is it something that where his his three-point shooting holds up this it's like this is like a development he's pulled off like at this point in his career I think it makes his extension which I think is already pretty fair. I think it makes it even more of a bargain. It makes him more useful. It makes him more versatile. It would be a really big deal if his passing and his shooting, and I'll ask later, we'll get into which ones maybe we think is more important, but I think they're both really important things if they hold up for him. I agree. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we look at Larry Nance Jr. And, you know, especially last year, you know, there was some talk about him being like a younger player, but he is going to be 27 years old, you know, by the time, by the, you know, at January of next year. So it's like he basically, for the most part, most guys are the player that they are at this age. And it was, it was good to see his development as a shooter and as, you know, a playmaker. But I really don't know if we're going to see him elevate his game much more than what we saw last year even if we would like to see that happen. Which one to you is, is more important? I, I personally 
hope that the shooting is the one that is for real. You know, he did shoot 33.7% last year on one and a half threes a game. Um, I'd like to see him bump that number up to like three threes a game. You know, there's really no reason not to with this team. You know, because if he can add that spacing element, you know, this like spacing is one of those things that every team needs and you can keep playing in the league. You know, there's always a role for guys who can space the floor, especially if they can bring something on the defensive end of the floor as well. And he, you know, he's not the best defender in the world, but he's definitely, you know, on this team, he's, you know, arguably the best defender on this team. But, you know, if, if he can develop that shot to be consistent around that 33, 34%, you know, on three threes of the game, I think his value shoots up. So my thing with the three is that I will be very interested to see just like how it works is like, does his three point shooting, like where he had last year was a guy that sometimes was hesitant to shoot them and like dribbled into them. And like, I could never tell, like, I don't think he was at a point with it last year where it was like just an organic part of his game. And I will kind of ask him about that immediate day. I don't like know if that's fair on my part. Um, it's just, and I, I would need to go back and look at like, a ton of film that I just don't have time to do but like for my notes and going through them last year that was just something that kept coming up like I want to see if he he's just gonna fire him and like if he can take two two and a half a game like that would be notable to me um and I think it was Derek Favors from the from the formerly of the Jazz now with the Pelicans like said it like on a low post or something that it's like it takes a year for you to be really comfortable and like be willing to do it so is this is the year where that would hit I almost think the passings were important though for for this reason when you look at the Cavs' future and you look at the type of lineups he's going to play with, he's – like, I think there's a future where he's really useful as a, in, like, a second unit kind of way where he's out there with guys. Like, maybe it's him and Sexton. Maybe um, it's, you know, KPJ and, and these other guys. Maybe he's, like, helping those lineups work because he can pass. He can move the ball. He's got good vision. He can do some of the – they can run some stuff, like, kind of allowing him to kind of set guys up. I don't think he's, like, an elite, elite passer, but I think the thing for me – I wrote about this, and I'll link to that in the show notes so people can kind of look at that and check it out if you want to you know, tell me – read it or tell me I'm idiot or whatever. But, like, I kind of think that, for me, if he's going to, like – become super valuable to the team next year and raise their floor up a little bit and raise their ceiling up a little bit. It's like, I think his passing could make life easier for Sexton, for Kevin Porter Jr., for Dylan Windler, because he could like take some of the pressure off of Kevin Love to be out there every time that um, like they need a, a, someone to stabilize lineup. I think I don't, he's not as good as that. And it's not like going to be something for him that is quite as important but I think that's like if he can pass like that, especially on these different units, I think it can really just kind of make life easier for these other guys and take some of the pressure off Kevin Love to really work. I do agree with that. Obviously, you know, him being a creator is really important. And I don't want to over I don't want to undersell that. You know, there were times hard stretches of last year where he seemed to be like the only guy who was, you know, looking for guys <laughs> in the right spots and trying to, you know do the right thing when he had the ball. But, you know, I always go back to spacing is so important in today's league, especially when you have two players who are, you know, a little small for their size. You know, so many times last year we saw teams just pack the paint against Sexton and he wasn't able to do anything. You know, even though Nance was hitting some threes last year, there was still no, 
had no off-ball gravity. So that's one of the things why I want to see him shoot more threes because even if he's not really making them at a higher clip, it is important to shoot threes because shooting threes alone creates some gravity. You know, and I really think you know if when you have guys like Sexton and like Garland who will have a tough time finishing in the paint, you need to give them as much space as possible. So that's what, that's just my take on things. No, I think that's fair, and I think like the other thing about this for me that I I think matters is like he can handle the ball a little bit too. And if he can like do stuff where it's like, he's maybe playmaking from the top of the key running like the a light version of like the Jokic Murray pick and roll where it's like him and Sexton or something like that. Like I'm in on the weirdness, like give me weirdness, give me little wrinkles like that. that can kind of, kind of offer some different looks. Um, I think if both of them are like mostly real, I think that would be huge. And I, I don't, I think he'd be like, he is a little bit older, but, like, he's not, like, Tristan Thompson where he's, like, 30 and, like, has a bunch of miles on his body and stuff like that. And he's not doing another big contract this summer. So, like, he's kind of locked in. Like, I think, like, he – even if he's not around when, like, Garland's 30, right? Like, let's say Darius Garland's, like, a, a huge all-star for the Cavs and whatever. And he's around – he's, like, on the cast for the next decade. Like, maybe Nance isn't on the team when he's 37. But if he's really good in these specific ways we're talking about it for the next, like, five years – I think that's super great. And I think that's all that that's like a good thing to have around. Like the stuff that he can do that he showed last year, in addition to being a decent defender, and I think he's gotten better as a screener and stuff. Like I think that makes him a really kind of nice if that stuff's real, it makes him kind of an interesting piece with with what one of the kind of what the Cavs are doing. And he seems to have like talked to John Beeline a lot. Like like just if you watch Summer League, like he was there just like hanging out with Beeline. So I, I kinda wonder if there's like a good rapport between them there already. Hopefully there is. And I do, I do agree with you. Everything that the Cavs do moving forward should be viewed in how does this player help, you know, Sexton, you know, Garland, KPJ, whoever, you know, how do they help those guys develop? And you, you do definitely see with Nance how he can help those guys develop by being so versatile on the offensive end of the floor. You know, I just hope that that um, continues because you know, if one of those things or both of those things kind of fall off or they, you know, kind of plateau a little bit, then you start to question what his fit is, you know, beyond beyond this current extension that he's on. Uh, wrap it up, Jackson, on this. Is there any, like, questions that, you know, we didn't get to just because we kind of cut them when I was saying let's get to that on the six that you kind of feel like you just want to throw out there? Let's not offer any analysis, but any questions you just want to – um, just make sure you know kind of you people think are out there for me like one thing I will say is like I think um, a little minor thing is like what is the what is Ante Zizic's like year look like is just kind of a small little thing I'm interested in um, I mean there's a couple things I'm interested in you know I'm really bought in on the um, KPJ bandwagon so I hope he I hope the Cavs really manage him the right way because he seems like a guy, you know, he has talent, but he needs to be, you know, brought up and put into positions to succeed. So I just hope that the Cavs are able to do that for him and that we're able to see that, whether that's in Canton or whether that's, you know, in Cleveland a little later in the year, probably not to start off the year. And also I'm interested in how Garland compares to other rookies in his class. You know, I, I think that could be really interesting. You know, this is kind of a draft that we – kind of saw the one-person draft, maybe a two-person, three-person draft, you know, and I want to see if Garland can, you know, be up in that top tier with with guys like Zion and RJ and John Moran. Um, so looking at the 2020 rookie odds, I just want to ask you this. So I don't 
like fully speak betting, but um, he's like fourth on the list of guys to win rookie of the year. Would you bet like 200 bucks or like not 200 bucks? That's a lot of money. Like 20 bucks on Garland winning rookie of the year plus 1600. I mean, I, I would. I mean, I, you know, guys that have a chance of winning rookie of the year are usually guys that are going to have the ball in their hands a lot. Obviously, it's hard to, you know, if Zion stays healthy all year, just him staying healthy feels like he's just going to win rookie of the year just based off of that. But, you know, you can definitely see how a guy with the ball in his hands, like we think Garland should have, and, you know, if he's able to translate that shooting over into the NBA and, you know, get to his spots on the floor to succeed, then, you know, there's definitely a path for him to get to be rookie of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it would take, um, you know, him versus John Morant would be interesting. I can't wait to see how he plays against guys like Morant, guys like Kobe White, um, who, you know, he'll see Kobe White four times. I think those things are going to be really, really interesting. Um, but again, find Jackson on Twitter at Akron underscore Jackson. I'm on Twitter at CWMWrites. The pod is on Twitter at Lockdown Cavs on Facebook there as well. Jackson, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.